us. Amen. This morning we'll turn in our Bibles again to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we have been hearing sermons from the Gospel of John, and this is really the third in a three-part mini-portion of John, because this morning we're going to hear about what the breaking of bread for 5,000, the multiplying of that bread, what that meant about Jesus himself. And I'll explain to you, if you haven't been here every Sunday, how this passage unfolds and will continue in it next Sunday. But this morning we pick up what Jesus is saying in verse 22 of John chapter 6, and I'll be reading through verse 35. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22, reading through verse 35, hear the word of God. And the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." Then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to, him, to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of God. May he bless it this morning. I'm wondering if you have had that feeling, and I know I will date myself a little bit in terms of age when I ask you this question. Have you ever had that feeling when you're coming out of the grocery store, you're walking through the parking lot, and you can't find your car? And as you've wandered up one aisle and then a second... Looking for your car, you suddenly remember that you didn't drive your own car there. You took your wife's car and you just walked past it. (laughs) The whole time walking up and down those two aisles, you were looking for the wrong thing. 
And I'm wondering this morning if some of us have been looking for the wrong thing for a long time. If you have, and I would tell to you, say to you, that the Jews in this passage have been doing exactly that. They have been looking for the wrong thing for a long time so that when the real thing showed up before them, they did not recognize Jesus for who he was. Have you been looking for the wrong thing for a long time? If that's you, this morning's passage is meant to point you to the right place. And I'm even going to tell you how to find the right thing. The right thing that you are looking for is found between what you want and what you need. We may look at our lives and see many things that we want and we pursue. But what happens in this portion of John chapter 6 is rather than giving us what we want, Jesus says, I am the one that you need. I want to divide this passage into two parts. The first is what you want, or maybe I can say what you're seeking, what you're working for. I am well aware that this passage is not the easiest to understand. In fact, this part of John, from John chapter 6, verse 22, through the end of the chapter, is some of the more difficult words that Jesus says. People ask him one question, and he answers in a way that you think, is he even answering the question that is being asked? I'm going to explain that to you. And the answer that he gives, you think, well, what does that mean? If you read that this morning, or if you've read that many times in your Bible, and you've thought, I do not understand really what Jesus is saying, by God's grace, I hope this morning to explain it to you some, so that rather than leaving here thinking, I still don't get it, You can understand not only what Jesus is saying, but also why it is so incredibly significant. Let me start, as I said again, with what you want. That comes in verses 22 through 28. You will not be able to understand what Jesus is explaining in these verses unless you look back to the beginning of the chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, we read that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, and the crowds are so impressed with what Jesus is able to do that the end of that section says they want to take Jesus by force and make him king. I said it last week, and I'll say it again this morning, They saw Jesus as the answer to their problems. Jesus, you're amazing. You're spectacular. You're wonderful. You can do everything that we need. You turned a few loaves and fish into bread for 5,000. What is the end of what you're able to provide for us? If you can multiply food, you certainly can help us with our political problems. You can cast off the Romans and give us freedom again. That's in the mind of the people who saw Jesus divide the bread. But then Jesus left. <laughs> if you can imagine, the crowds are saying, we want to make you king. Jesus disappears. And we find that Jesus goes alone into the mountain to pray. And while Jesus is praying, his disciples row three to four miles into the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up. And as I explained last Sunday, They see Jesus walking across the sea on the water. And the Bible says they saw him and they were afraid. 
The point that I made to you last Sunday, and then I'm going to stop saying last Sunday and the Sunday before I move to this morning's passage. The point I made to you last Sunday is that the fear of God is meant to eclipse the fear of everything else. When you have a fear of God that recognizes who God really is, it eclipses everything else in life. But here's the beauty of the fear of God. It is not a fear of God where you shirk back because of your lack, because you are finite and unholy, knowing the presence of God because of Jesus Christ, the fear of God that eclipses every other fear In Jesus Christ, you're welcomed. Instead of shirking back, you run to this Jesus because he says, do not be afraid. It's me. It's I. Here I am. Come. So now, this morning, we read in these verses that the crowds get into their boats to try to find Jesus. They haven't seen what Jesus did on the water, and they're still stuck at Where's Jesus? We need his help. Here's someone we need to make king to help us. And when they find him in verse 25, they ask him when he arrived on the other side. It sounds like a timing question. I would suggest to you it's not really. It's sort of like a question for information that happens when you feel like a friend has stood you up for a lunch date. You say, where have you been? When did you get here? What you're really asking is, why in the world am I waiting here for you? That's what the crowd is asking Jesus. Jesus, we need you. We want you. Why did you come here? Aren't you paying attention to what we want? I was looking and I was not finding you. They are looking for Jesus because they need him. They want to cling to him for what he is able to do for them. And Jesus calls out that need in verse 26. He says, you are seeking me because I am able to fill your stomach with food. And you are hoping I can do so much more for you. Do not work, do not seek for what you can fill, what can fill your stomachs, but for the food that lasts forever. Now notice two things about what Jesus says to these people in the crowd who comes to him. Jesus first draws This obvious distinction between two kinds of food. There is the food that perishes, the kind of food that if you leave the cheese on the counter, eventually it's going to grow mold. And unless it's very good cheese, you're going to throw that cheese out. If you forgot the milk on the counter this morning, by the time you come home, I doubt anyone in your family is going to want to drink that milk. Food perishes, it spoils. Jesus is saying that's the way with food. Even further, he means the food that goes into our stomachs only lasts for a certain amount of time. We get nutrients from it, and then it's expelled. That food doesn't last forever. It can't sustain us forever. The food is temporary, not permanent. It helps for a time, but not forever. And he says, compared to that food, there is a food that I can give you that lasts forever. And I want you to think in those terms. You see how Jesus is challenging exactly the kind of thing that they wanted for him, from him. They wanted Jesus for what he could do for them. Give us more food. Give us political freedom. Give us what we need. And Jesus says, oh, listen to this. I've come to give you so much more. Lift up your eyes a little bit. Look further. Think bigger. I'm able to do far more. 
The second thing I want you to notice is the question they ask him in verse 28. They ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're concerned about the work that Jesus can do. Jesus has said, do not work, do not seek for the food that perishes, but seek for the food that lasts forever. And they return and say, well, what are we supposed to be working for? What are the works we're supposed to be doing? Their question assumes something very important. They're assuming the reason is correcting Jesus is correcting them is because they haven't figured out work they're supposed to be doing. In other words, they're working the wrong sort of work. But Jesus is telling them they're missing the point badly. Instead of looking to the one that God provides, they ask what work they're supposed to be doing. They're focused on Jesus, we want you to provide for us. We need something that will sustain us. And if you're challenging that, what we're asking you is what are we supposed to do about it? What are we supposed to do? So that what Jesus is telling them is very simple. He says you're looking for the wrong thing to sustain you and you assume what sustains you is something that you must work for. That it depends on you. Do you hear both of those things? You're assuming that you need a certain thing to sustain you. And the thing that sustains you is what you can do. Now if you go back into John chapter 6, you think to yourself, well, these were crowds. They definitely needed food. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Maybe their questions make some sense. I want to ask you this morning the two-part question that Jesus is posing to these crowds. What are you looking for to sustain you? What are you looking for to sustain you? I can think of all kinds of things that we look to sustain us. Our vacations lessen 10 days in the rearview mirror. And I can tell you that having a break is a very sustaining activity. Maybe you look at very simple things like the crowd, which is not necessarily wrong. You need food to sustain you and you're working hard for all the things that you need in life. Maybe you think about the people around you. And the necessity of those people to sustain you. Maybe you're thinking more globally. We need a culture, a society that's strong in order for my life to be sustained. Whatever it is that you think that you need in order to be taken care of. For things to be right. That's a thing that we look to to sustain us. And the second part of the question that Jesus asked is, how do you plan to get what sustains you? I am incredibly struck as I look at John chapter 6 with how simple the Jews thought that question could be answered. How do you get what will sustain you? The Jews answered, well, what are we supposed to do? We need to work for it. That's what we need to do. It seemed obvious to them. If we need something for ourselves, what are we going to do? We're going to work for it. And I would guess that's what every single one of us 
is tempted to believe, whatever I need to sustain my life, I need to work for it, I need to try hard, I need to keep going. That's really the simple formula for life. What do I need and how do I work for it? What we really want is the formula about how we can work at the right things to get what we need. But the second part of this passage is not about what they want, it's what Jesus gives, what they really need. Jesus does not leave them and us in that position. And there's a very good reason why he does not leave them with that formula, working hard to get what will sustain us. The reason Jesus is going to challenge that formula is because it is entirely inadequate to answer the questions of life. It is not as though there isn't any truth to it. There is. It's just a misspoken, there is a misspoken assumption it's the whole answer. Or that you can give that answer without something far more foundational. If you're convinced this morning that the formula to life is to work at the right things to get what you need, I'm going to predict that there are significant times in your life that you're going to be frustrated with how life treats you and you will be thoroughly disappointed when you die. Because what Jesus is going to challenge them, and he challenges us, is with the question, it's not what you are seeking, it is what God is giving. And that's what comes next. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, in response to the question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There are three key ideas that are initiated here in verse 29. Verse 29 is the first. He responds to their question by saying, this is the work of God, that you believe in in him whom he has sent. There's something very subtle that happens here that I want to note to you. They ask about the works of God. What are they supposed to be doing to be doing the works of God, the things that are approved by Him? Jesus responds by talking about a work singular. There is one work of God that matters. Further, and this is a bit harder to see, He switches who is doing the work. They have asked, what works of God do we need to do? And Jesus switches to a singular work, not that they do, but that God does. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now maybe that seems like a subtle shift. You might even wonder, is that exactly what Jesus intends? I can tell you confidently it is. Notice he switches from what you're supposed to do to what God has done. From the works that we're supposed to do to the work that God has done. And he says that singular work enables us to believe in him whom he has sent. The that in that phrase, verse 29, comes sort of like this. This is a singular work that God has done so that, in order that, you might believe in the one whom God has sent. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? Now just think for a moment. 
He is switching the whole formula of life from what are we going to do to sustain us to what God gives. The second thing I want you to notice is in verse 32. After Jesus tells them this amazing truth, they challenge him. They ask, are you really saying that you are the one whom God has sent? Are you the one who has come from God? If that's what you're saying, we need a sign. The logic is very simple as it unfolds in these verses. If the prophet Moses had the sign of bread from heaven, then what sign can you give if you're really the Messiah? Moses gave us bread from heaven. What sign do you give? How can you prove that you are the Messiah? And in verse 32, Jesus challenges their notion that it was Moses who gave them bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses, he said. It was my Father who gave you bread from heaven. And this is the same Father who's now giving you a better bread, a true bread from heaven. He switches the formula of their question from what can they do in order to get what sustains them to what God provides with a proof that if in the Old Testament God gave the Israelites bread from heaven, in the New Testament, God is giving them someone even better from heaven. He is giving the one who's standing in front of them, which leads us to verse 35. The third thing I want you to notice in this second half of the passage, where Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Maybe this morning as you're listening to me, you say, Pastor, I hear you giving a lot of explanation about these verses. I have, and it feels rather necessary to give that explanation. It's not an easy passage to explain. In fact, I would be surprised sometimes if you're reading this, if you don't end and you're like, I don't know what Jesus is trying to tell us. Maybe you're the only person who, when you read your Bible, says that. I occasionally ask the same question. I don't understand what Jesus is trying to say. But if you follow along with the interaction between Jesus and these people in the crowd, you come away with the fundamental impression that Jesus is turning their attention away From first, a misunderstanding who he is, that is the one who can release them from the Romans, give them the bread that they need to eat. He is challenging them to think much deeper about who he is. And then they switch the question to ask, well, what are the things that we need to do in order to be sustained? And Jesus again switches the question. And he says, it's not about what you do in order to be sustained. It is what God has done for you. And then they ask him, well, how do we know that you're giving us the right answer? How do we know that we're supposed to look to your words? Jesus says, you know, that bread from heaven that came from Moses, there's a better bread from heaven in front of you. And then he says those powerful words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This whole passage has been building to verse 35. He has been laying before them the clarity of who he is. 
He is saying through all the things that you may struggle and strive for in life, look to the one who's able to provide for you. Believe in the one who can give you what sustains your life now and for eternity. And you'll notice in verse 35, he pulls us as readers forward from John chapter 4. The woman at the well who says, give me that water that I shall never thirst. Jesus now says, that which you are seeking, whether it's the bread that fills you for eternity or the water that quenches your thirst forever, that's found in me. That's who I am. I am the bread of life. Now you may ask me, Pastor, what does that mean? Are you telling me that I should not work hard? I shouldn't strive to provide for my family? I shouldn't go to school and work to get good grades? I shouldn't manage my life well? Is that what you're trying to tell me? In a sense, yes. That's exactly right. Because if you do all those things... Absent the bread of life and the water that never thirsts, your life is going to be empty. You will be searching and searching and searching, and you'll never find what you're looking for. You will be asking the wrong question about life. You'll be asking, what do I need to add to my life? What do I need to pursue in order to find what I'm looking for? And the answer is, you won't find it. You really won't. But if Jesus is the one who sustains you, if He is the bread of life, if He is the water that quenches your thirst for eternity, you can go to work, you can raise your family, you can study hard, you can manage life, be a good citizen, not hoping that those things will complete you, but doing them from the one who sustains you. You'll be drawing on the reservoir of Almighty God, the God who walks on water, the one that we must see in order that the things that we would ordinarily fear are eclipsed by the welcoming Almighty God, Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting to you that you don't wash clothes or that you don't buy groceries, or you don't manage your 401k as miserable as that may feel right now. I'm not suggesting any of that. I'm only telling you, or maybe I shouldn't say only, maybe I should say it is my joy to tell you, if you strive for all of that apart from Jesus Christ, you are in the same position as the crowds. But if you do all of that having Jesus Christ, then even in the most difficult places of life, those places that many of you are facing, you can find peace. Because the Jesus who says, I am the bread of life, I am the water that quenches your thirst for eternity, is not absent all of those struggles and strains and difficulties. No, the God who sustains you is the God who is working in you and in your life 
to show your utter need for Him and to show His power to bring you through. I am impressed as we've been working through John how often John works to answer the basic question that hangs above this whole gospel. Do you remember what that question was? There are four Gospels that are given to us in the Bible, each of them unique, all of them complementary, giving us a full picture of who Jesus is. What stands above the Gospel of John is this big question. Who is Jesus, comma, why should I feel compelled to believe in him? And the answer that comes in this section of John chapter 6 is very simple. Who is this Jesus that I should feel compelled to believe in him? Jesus is the one who, unlike anything or anyone else in life, can sustain you now and for eternity. That's why you should believe in him. Amen. Father, I would be surprised if the words that come from John chapter 6 do not strike us sometimes as sort of startling. Because they challenge the basic notion that we have in life, that life is what we make it to be. If we make good choices, if we cross our T's and dot our I's, if we make sure we don't do anything foolish, then life should turn out well for us. But if some of us have been trying that over and over again, and we've reached that point where we say, I see it's not working, then replace that desire to look to what we can do to sustain ourselves, to the one who is actually able to sustain us, the one who can give us life, a life that never ends, a bread that sustains us, Father, it is true that the work that you've called us to do above any other work is a simple resting and relying in Jesus Christ. That is what it means for us to follow him. Forgive us for all the ways in which we give lip service to that truth and yet we don't really pursue it. Where we just assume that to be true and then we go on to struggle and strive in all of life. Replace that today on this day of rest with a genuine resting in our Savior. That instead of seeking and looking in all those other places, wandering up and down the aisles of life, always looking for something else, we would find genuine peace on our Savior. Lord, would you grant this, we pray in Jesus' name.